We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I kind of say it's special edition, but it's really not because it's in our normal time frame, but it is a pretty special topic. Notre Dame has picked up a commitment from 2023 big-time offensive lineman Charles Jagasaw. We did not go live on this one, Ryan, because we were told last night that he was going to commit at 9 a.m., and neither of us were in shape to be able to do a show at 9 a.m. this morning, so we just decided we would... Uh, do it at a normal time. We're going to try to get Charles on the show Saturday, uh, and, and for a show that for the show that Sean and I are doing on Saturday, because one of the topics we're going to discuss is really the the northern recruiting, but specifically that Illinois area, Illinois Indiana Indiana area where Notre Dame's been able to pick up some big time players in the twenty three and twenty four classes. So we'll have him on at some point in time today. We're going to kind of break everything down, and you know we're going to talk about his recruitment. We're going to talk about you know just some comments he made to Sean in, in an article that we have at irishbreakdown.com. We've got four articles about his commitment. Obviously, we have the commit story. We have the class impact story. We have the story that Sean did that has quotes from Charles and his mom and his coach about you know why Notre Dame was the pick. We've got his commit profile up on the site. So a lot to draw from there. A lot, a lot, a lot going on today, everybody. So we're going to dive into that, Ryan. We'll do. We'll watch some film. I know that there's been some. We've watched some film of him before, but we'll watch a little bit of film of him today. We may not do a a typical breakdown. We'll see. Just kind of what kind of mood we're in. We may just like play some film as we're talking about some other things. And then at the end, we'll kind of dive into sort of just an overview of of the class and just how it fits together and just what we think of the class and all those type of things. And so um, that. And then of course, we'll always end the show with the mailbag so if you have some questions you want to get in related to charles jagasaw or anything else get those in and we'll we'll dive to those at the end if you'd like to get something in now obviously a super chat if it's related to this particular topic we'll pull it up there is one super chat that i want to bring up before we get started and that is from garen nuts and garen thank you very very much he says not going to make the live stream giving this in advance for the o-line talk no way spanky sacks brian with the o-line class now that i think we can all get around right i even think spanky might no, he lives in a fantasy world. He may not. He may not change his mind. That's my guy. But uh, yeah, it, it's a heck of an offensive line class, Ryan. And obviously, Char- and thank Garen again. Thank you very, very much for that super chat. Look, the reality is, Ryan is 
this is one that we kind of have been expecting for a while, right? As you kind of look at his recruitment, I mean, going back to January when Harry Heastan was was hired, Charles Jagasaw was one of the first kids that he got on, was a priority recruit from day one. They never, there was no wavering about would he be a guy that they want or not. And we always felt that Notre Dame was the pick for him. It just was the only question, honestly, if we're being real about this, and I think people that listen to the show know that this is how we felt, it was never a matter of if he would pick Notre Dame. It was really just a matter of when. And that's kind of how it played out. I actually think it went a little longer than maybe we anticipated. But, you know, this is definitely a recruitment that we looked at and said, yeah, this is a guy that's going to end up at Notre Dame at some point in time. Yeah, I mean, you could you could have – I mean, when I first got the job, it was like, you know, in January, it was like Charles Jagasaw was, I don't want to say all Notre Dame because, Mm -hmm. you know, some schools like Michigan and Iowa and Arkansas, they they did a nice job recruiting Charles. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. like it was just a foregone conclusion, but it did a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. They did a great job with him. It just, but there was never any question of where it was going to be. No, no. It, It was just one of those things where it got to a point where, it was almost like a, a, a boring topic at that point, right? Because right. it's like any updates on Charles Jackson, he is going to probably go to Notre Dame at some point, right. but we don't know when that's going to be. Right? Like it, was, it was just a timing thing at the end of the day. Right. So, but it's massive for Notre Dame. You get right. your fifth offensive line in the class, fifth offensive lineman, excuse me, in the class. You also get a player that we've talked about this a lot, Brian, a player that can project to playing offensive tackle definitely at the next level if he's developed mm-hmm. properly. So it is a massive player in a lot of different fronts. There was a, a a comment that you know he he made in Ryan you know you mentioned the 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 interviews and the different things that he has said and you know, he talked about you know I really enjoyed my Michigan visit that gave me some things to think about after my visit but I pretty much knew my decision once I returned from Notre Dame and, and that's kind of the the thing and then his in that article you should really check it out his coach talks about you know there was really two things that had a big impact on his decision the first was you know just the program that Marcus Freeman was running. And, and just the way that they went to a practice and they watched how Harry Heastan developed the second team offensive line and worked with them and coached them and did those kind of things. And it was just kind of like, wow, this guy really, this guy really cares about all of his guys, developing all of his guys. And that was a huge thing, huge thing for the Jagasaw family. And that's why, I mean, the only reason it went as long as it did is they just needed to get mom on campus and, and it, with him and a chance to meet right. them. And, and of course they were to do that. So, uh, it was huge. Yeah, Vince, go ahead. Yeah, just a comment on on Harry and that whole thing. One thing that struck me about Harry is that he he was coaching the kids up at uh, um, Irish Invasion, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of kids there that are not going to be Notre Dame players. Okay, that's the nice mm-hmm. way to put it. And he was coaching those kids up like they were all five star recruits. Mm-hmm. And, but that's who he is. Like he, right. it doesn't matter who he's coaching. And I, and it took me a second to kind of take a step back because there are places that I've gone where if the coach, if it's not a high ranking recruit, and I'll say even at Notre Dame in the past, if it's not a high ranking recruit, the main coach is not out there. It's grad assistants. It's, you know, the strength and conditioning assistants. It's hangers on type of coaches that are out there coaching these kids up. Harry was out there with kids that have no business being at Notre Dame as far as recruits, are concerned they're going there to get better at their craft and everything else which is great but he's coaching them up as if he's trying to get them into the university of notre dame that that speaks volumes about who harry he is i just want to say that the the funny thing is vince is you know 
you know, when I was coaching D3 and 1AA, I'd go to these big camps, yep. right? Because that's how we'd find kids is I'd go to Bowling Green's camp. I'd go to Maryland's camp. I'd go to, you know, all those camps. And we were the ones, the D3 coaches, <laughs> the one we were the ones coaching these exactly. kids up, right? Yes. Uh, to, to your point. And, and that's something that you certainly is impressed with what, what Notre Dame is doing here. But I, I'm going to get pithy with some Harry Heastan comments later. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have some fun with that. But the fact is, though, is this was always going to happen. But I, I do think it was important because Charles had kind of mentioned, like, you know, maybe during the, late in the summer, maybe during the season. He just was like, ah, whatever. I just don't really care. I think he kind of got tired of the process, though. He said to Sean in a, in a conversation, like, I just I got tired of the phone calls. I was ready to just kind of finish it up. But I do think the timing of it is important. And I do think it's important that Notre Dame was able to get him now because it does build some momentum because, you know, up until he told Sean the other day, we knew it was going to happen, Ryan, but you and I talked that we thought maybe it might be like in July sometime because he just didn't have a, a time frame per se. He didn't seem to be in a rush, but then of course he let Sean know that it was going to be on the 30th. And then at that point in time, it was like, okay, like this is going to be huge because now it starts a potential run of, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, potentially Friday, potentially Sunday, potentially Monday. And it really gets some momentum back because it's kind of funny. It's almost like people were getting disappointed in the class because they had fallen all the way to number three, you know, by rivals. And because they hadn't, I mean, really a lot of the success they've had the last month is with 2024 kids as they've been building that up. I mean, they had gotten what, like three 24 kids in a row. Yeah, Mm -hmm. You know, so CJ Carr, Jack Larson, Cam Williams, that was most of their success in the month of June was getting the 2024 kids. True. And so there just wasn't a ton of momentum, even though Notre Dame's class was still ranked really high, whereas Ohio State had kind of gotten some recent commits. Texas has had an insane week since landing Arch Manning. They've landed like 10 kids since Arch committed. It's amazing what a five-star quarterback can do. I was going to say, shocker, right? Yeah, uh, but you know now Notre Dame is able to kind of get a little bit of momentum back, and I do think that is one of the important things. Is we knew it was going to happen, but I think the timing of it worked out really well. My understanding is this is not something that Notre Dame necessarily pushed. This was Charles like, yeah, I'm ready, let's do it, and sure, we'll do it then. And then we found out last night he was going to do it at like 9 a.m. and he says, oh, I'm just going to send a tweet out. And I was like, that's such a Harry Heastan offensive lineman. You know, <laughs> I know, get right? A, just get us a tweet in like two months, right? <laughs> He's just going to throw I think one his last random. one was in March. Like it was, yeah. it's been a while since he tweeted last. I, I went and looked at his Twitter account. And I was like, oh. I was he like, just tweeted, tweeted that he he's coming. a new okay. account that I don't know about because this kid hasn't <laughs> tweeted in a long time. And, and of course, he sends the tweet out and it was kind of, you know, to the point and just, okay, now I'm going to go back to working out. I mean, that's pretty much what was happening today. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's a, a big part of, of where this one was from a timing standpoint. I, I do think the timing matters because, guys, we've talked about this. Moment, Ryan, especially – you know, as you've kind of dove into this, I mean, momentum matters. I mean, these kids pay attention to who's committing where they see, Oh, who's the hot team. Who's this for a while there. I mean, for a good two, three months, nobody was hotter than Notre Dame. Right. Sure. That kind of tailed off because they were so hot early. I mean, if, if you stay that hot, you're going to sign 43 kids, right? right. I mean, there's going to come a time where you're just right. not going to add any more kids. Some of that momentum had, had kind of worn off. Now all of a sudden you're adding a player that ranks as a five-star and the number seven player in the country and on three, ESPN and 247 both have him as a top 100 recruit, top 75 recruit, and that's kind of where his range is. So I think this helps with some momentum, and if they can continue to build on to this the next few days, you're going to see Notre Dame kind of get back to being that 
hot program on two, four, seven, even before what may happen this weekend, they've already jumped back up to number one, right. In the two, four, seven composite rankings. And so, uh, you know, number one class in 23, number one class in 24, and you finally kind of get back on the board with an offensive, uh, an offensive lineman. And now the, before the season even starts, the offensive line class is basically wrapped up. So I, I do think from a momentum standpoint, Ryan, this was, this was very important to this, this, this commitment. And then the stretch that we think Notre Dame's about to go through, I do think it's very important. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My wife is the coffee drinker in our house. So when I told her about trying out Trade Coffee, she was curious. When I told her that if she answered the survey Trade sent me, they could match her with brands she would like, she was downright skeptical. We ended up getting three different shipments from three regional coffee makers. And let me tell you, she was blown away. My coffee snob wife loved each and every new blend that she got. As a non-coffee drinker myself, I must admit, opening up the cabinet and getting a whiff of her most recent blend was aromatically pleasing. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you and as often as you like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee connoisseur like my wife or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. Take the coffee quiz to get started. Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. And right now for Irish Breakdown listeners, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of 30 off your first order plus shipping when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started when taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. I mean, it's huge. It, it absolutely is. I think what's kind of funny is we've always talked about what the impact of a 2023 quarterback would do. And I know CJ Carr isn't directly why Charles Jagasaw committed, right? Because he was it was a foregone conclusion. The question was when Micah Bell and Christian Gray, like those guys are Enrico Flores, they're independent as far as when they were going to make their decision. So it's not like CJ Carr's impact was like, okay, now let's get going here. But it is kind of funny how the 2024 kids started what could be an epic week span of of um of commitments for Notre Dame for the 2023 cycle. So I think that impact is still undersold and I don't want to take it away from Charles obviously because he was who I mean like you said Brian he was always a take but at this and he was always a a massive priority for this staff 
But the fact of the matter is, is, is that they were up to four offensive linemen in the 2024 class that were already committed. I mean, 2023 class, excuse me, before Charles. And I think that Charles also was like, you know, like, yeah, what am I really waiting for anymore? You know, like it's, I'm going to conclude the class. I'm going to be kind of the cherry on top if you want to phrase it as that. So just massive, massive momentum shift, like you're saying, because if Notre Dame does indeed pull off five commitments in six days, which we think is pretty, it's very possible here, then, I mean, I, I, I again, we talked and it's something where I just, I don't remember that ever happening before. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. I, I, I really don't. And, and I mean, the way it's going, like somebody's going to jump in on July 2nd. Like that's the vibe that you kind of feel like. Yeah, I don't know who it's going to be, but you just feel like something's <laughs> going to happen there. You know, you got to uh, have so somebody every day. Vince, right. Vince is going to commit to be the baseball coach. On that's, the right. that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, sign me up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so as we kind of look at the class impact of landing Charles Jagasaw, guys, I do think this is an important commitment because early on Notre Dame, four was the number at the beginning, right? Four is where they wanted to be. There, you know, some roster shakeups and just the way that the board sort of grew that they said, you know what, let's go to five. They could go to six if the right guy wants to jump on board, but I don't think right now that's going to happen. I don't view that that as, as being an option anymore simply because I don't think that p- prospect Monroe Freeling is going to come to Notre Dame anymore. It's just my opinion. Uh, they would take him contrary to what others have been reported. That's false. They would have taken Monroe if he wanted to come. But uh, I think that reporting is partly why you're not going to get to six, but let's focus on the five. Eventually got to the point where it was like, we're going to take five. I don't think it was so much a need of five as much as a want based on how the board shook out. And I think that Harry Heastan really wanted an opportunity to sort of change the, the style of recruit that they were going after. You know, it's, there's some athletic kids in here, but there's a lot of physical dudes in this class. And of course, Charles Jagasaw uh, fits in perfectly with that. And that is something that, you know, I, Say other than Elijah Page, who is more of the left tackle target, mm-hmm. the rest of those guys, even a guy like Joe Otting, who's like 260 pounds, that's a physical kid, right? Sure and so I think that's a big part of this. And so that's the first thing that stands out to me, guys, is the physicality. But a- another part of it is, is you meet your, you get your your five. It's a high quality five. Charles Jagasaw is the highest ranked of all of them. Yeah, you know, right. he is a top hundred recruit on the composite and the consensus rankings. He's the only one that's top 100 on those. He's a five-star recruit on on three. So you're able to kind of fill it that way. So I think from a class impact standpoint, this is important for Notre Dame too because you've met your needs and you can now kind of focus. Now Harry Heastan can start focusing his attention on 2024. And now Tommy Reese and Chad Bowden and Marcus Freeman can start finish focusing more, even more of their attention on receiver Jeremiah Love. And then, of course, with Coach Freeman and Coach Bowden, uh, it'll be on finishing up on defense. So I think from that standpoint, this is also a big commitment because anytime you kind of wrap up a class, a, a, a position group that requires numbers, it's not like quarterback. You get one and you're like, all right, we're done. You know, this is one where you needs a lot of work when you can wrap up a, we'll dive into the specifics of the class later, but just as far as getting that fifth guy, getting that big time player, this at this point in time where you can now focus your attention on other things is a really important piece to this, to this puzzle. It's pretty crazy to think that in, you know, you're at the end of June and you're done completely with a position where you are going to take five players. <laughs> like you said, it's not like you just, it's not like you signed one quarterback and you're like, okay, I'm done for this cycle, right? Like you signed five players and are still done in June. And we've talked about Harry, he stands 2024 board is very small right now. And we anticipate it growing at some point but i think that the onus was 
let's finish up the 2023 class and then we'll work our way into 2024, kind of like what you're saying, Brian. And now you have some extra ammo on the recruiting trail. Less attention has to be made to the offensive line room. So Chad Bowden, Marcus Freeman have their attention to the other spots, just kind of reiterate what you said. And I think that it's massive to have that type of group done this early, especially when, again, five guys by the end of June, that is a, that's tough to do, man. Yeah. Coach Eastan has come out of retirement, if that's what we want to call sure. it. And we want to, and he has quickly pushed away the, the notion that he doesn't want to recruit anymore, right? Because he obviously has done right. an incredible job in that department so far. Right. I mean, I mean, look, guys, Sean, we got a little bit of echo on, on your, your end. But we, it's not just five guys, Ryan. It's five really high quality guys. You've beat Michigan. You've beat Clemson. You've beat some. You know. You've beat USC for Elijah Page. You're you're not just getting five. Like because to your point, what Ryan is saying is not. It's easy. If Notre Dame wants to get five offensive linemen, that's no problem. They can do that in three days. There's tons of kids who just jump at a Notre Dame offer. It's getting high quality players. And you know, Sean, there was this there's this talking point that was going around for a while about how, you know, you know, he stand wasn't that great of a recruiter, you know, is he going to want to recruit again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Despite all the evidence of the success he had, I think we can kind of say that was, that is rubbish. And that was always rubbish uh, as you look at this class. So I, I think rubbish. that's one of the big things because Sean, when you talk to Charles and you talk to um, the coach and you talk to his mom, Harry Heastan played a big role in this recruitment. And it wasn't just the two hour film session, you know, when he was on his most, most recent visit. You're muted, Sean. It was all about the approach that Harry Heastan took. He listened, which seems to be something that a lot of people fail to do a lot these days is actually listen to what people are saying. You know, we chronicled the beginning of the recruitment how Notre Dame shot to the top with the efforts of Trevor Mendelson before Harry got into position on January 24th. And once Harry got in, he actually listened to Fritz Giudane, the head coach at Allen High School. And he listened to Sheila Doak and the things that they said, which was glitz and glam won't get this young man. He's not worried about the glitz and glamour of recruiting. Harry Heastan took that to heart. Marcus Freeman, Chad Bowden took that to heart, and they built the entire recruitment around not giving him glitz and glamour, but giving him what he was looking for, which was community, faith, family, and football. Right. Notre Dame was the place that made him feel like home. He was at home more than any other program. Michigan made it a choice towards the end. And one of the greatest things – and talking to him in recent days was it's good to see a kid be a kid in this current state of recruiting or getting the opportunity to be a kid. And what I mean by that, here's a kid that, you know, I think everyone has ever made a college decision can relate to this. You don't have to be a big time athlete to be able to relate to this. You have your top three schools and every school gives you something different. Right. Mm -hmm. And Notre Dame was that perfect school that fit. And he knew that. But Michigan was the fun school. Like every time he went to Ann Arbor, he had a fun time. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about outside of 
you know, talking football, he enjoyed the town. And as a 17-year-old, he envisioned himself like, y'all come from this small town, and like it probably would be cool to experience that, mm-hmm. something that's different. And, yo, that's just being a kid. As mm-hmm. a 17-year-old, waiting to get away from home and break loose, like everybody thinks like that. And that was, that was part of his decision-making. Like, yo, do I go to Notre Dame where I know – this is very similar to who I am and how I, cho- I choose to live and I'm comfortable or do I choose this place that also has a good legacy and tradition of offensive line play, but man, I really have fun when I go there mm-hmm. and it's different. And it was really refreshing to hear him talk about this and see him being a kid in a process that at the beginning, I don't think he embraced at all and he wasn't right. looking forward to it. But the more he got into it, you know, he enjoyed it. And he enjoyed both schools that were at the top of his list. And ultimately, the decision came down to Harry Heastan. He was, without a doubt, the difference. The same Harry Heastan that was recently ranked the 34th best offensive line coach in the country, by the way. Uh, we're, we're not talking about big boomers. <laughs> Boom, big boomer, are we right now? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> that was so bad. I had like fifty tweets. Like, are you gonna are you gonna respond to this? You gonna comment on this? And I was did like, you, Did you see? Did you see his response to the one person? He said, "Oh, he's not proven." Yeah. What? Right. What yeah. the yeah. heck does that mean? What this is like mean? his first go around. Like, what? Yeah. Like, it's the first O line job that he's ever uh, had. Sean, you had to take it there. I was about to hit Vince with a little zinger and say that he also loves Ann Arbor, but you made, you made <laughs> took this conversation completely different. <laughs> that was so bad. I just. It just was so funny because you heard all this stuff from from Notre Dame people about, you know, Harry's not a great recruiter and he doesn't like recruiting. And I think, Sean, you've learned this from with your Jagasaw, Ryan, you've learned this from talking to like Sam Pendleton and Sullivan Absher and Elijah Page. Offensive linemen, especially guys that fit at Notre Dame, they don't want a coach calling them every single day. They don't they don't they don't like you said, Sean, it's like the glitz and the glamour. Part of that, too, is like having a coach call you every single day, like. Hey, coach, man, I'm trying to get to the workout. You right. know what I mean? It gets like, old. I, yeah. That, now, some players you got to do that with. That's fine, but sure. but offensive linemen aren't usually like that. And if a kid is like that, is that guy really going to be a fit at Notre Dame playing for Harry Heastan? You know, we need to kind of get told how great you are every single day. Yeah. And that's part of it too. Is is no, he doesn't recruit like everybody else because you know what? He doesn't have to. The personalities that he's recruiting are different than the personalities that Mike Mickens is recruiting or Al Washington is recruiting or Tommy Reese is recruiting or chances just linemen are different. Right. And I think that yeah. factors into it as well. And, you know, and that also is kind of the kind of kids that are going to click with Harry. He's are going to be those kids that don't really get into the whole, the game of it all. Right. I mean, Sullivan Absher committed on a TV show. Right. But I mean, all the other kids just kind of sent out tweets. Right. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Right. Sam, I think Sam was on CBS sports too, but even Sam Pendleton's. Yeah, he, I think so. he did something. I know he had like a ceremony at school. I didn't know it was on CBS. Sports. Oh, no. Yeah, I think it was on CBS. I thought we watched it. Yeah, might have been. Might have yeah. been. But they're just kind of like you said, they're like just no nonsense kind of kids. They just don't play the whole the whole game. They figured out who they wanted and they made a decision. The funny thing is the kid that we were most certain of took the longest to make yeah. a decision. You know, with a lot of these kids, it was like offer, commit, offer, commit. I mean, you know, Sullivan Absher is one that I thought Notre Dame had to really work for. Sure. I thought that's the only of the ones that you took about. I think there was two. So Sam Pendleton, Ryan, from the minute he got he got offered, I mean, it was a done deal. Joe Otting, it was his dream, dream school. Deal. 
Yeah. Right. Same with Joe Otting. Yeah. Jagasaw, we knew from from jump was going to pick Notre Dame. Elijah Page and Sullivan Abshire, you had to make a little comeback for. At the end of the day, it was the Harry Heastan reputation. And let's kind of get it back to Charles Jagasaw. We'll, we'll we'll dive more into how this class works together here, guys. But I do want to talk a little bit about just kind of Charles as a player and and just kind of his particular fit at Notre Dame because I think the thing that's interesting about Charles is I would argue that of the five linemen they landed he would rank fifth right now in regard to polish and technical skill everything he is doing right now is just off god-given ability he also to me ranks first in upside and just overall talent so he is a very unique kid i almost kind of feel like this is like a harry he stand dream like give me the six six 300 pound and not big like he's a he's a a, a small 300 pounds, right? You know, because of wrestling and stuff like that. Like he's a thin kid. I had, I talked to somebody who's um, who was on campus when he was visiting and they were like, he is a massive, massive human being. And and this person was around, has been around Brennan Vernon, Keon Keeley, right? Like, I mean, this person's <laughs> been around those dudes and he was like, that's a massive man. And he's only going to get bigger. I mean, he's going to be 310, 315 plus. Sean, I don't know if you agree with that. But, I mean, I look at his frame, especially when he stops wrestling, because he has to get down to around 285 for wrestling. Yeah. He's going to he's gonna be massive. And his upside, guys, is – I mean, again, mm-hmm. I can't put him as, like, the number seven player in the country right now just because he's so raw. Yeah. But I get it. I get why on three has that when you look at just the potential because – Man, like Sean, you you watch him. You've talked to him. He's a very mild mannered kid, correct? Yeah. You know, yes sir, no sir. Like here's the you know here I ask a question, I'm gonna give you the answer, and there it is. But when you watch him on the field and you watch him, you know, you, you know, you talk, you read articles or talk to people about the kind of wrestler he is. He is a physical punishing dude. And and by the way, for those that don't know, he did finish 41 and 0 and won a state championship in wrestling. So he is a he is a physical ass physical physical dude. But you know what I think gets often lost in the, in the because of the technical thing, guys. And Sean, I'll kick this over to you. He is a very athletic young man. You just don't often see it to the degree that you you'd like to because of the technique. But when he is right and when he's on defense, you see that this kid can really move and change direction at a very high level. Absolutely, and to kind of connect to what you were just talking about. You talk about that two-hour film session. The greatest thing that I pulled from that was the fact that he was going in to sit down and listen to Coach Heastan, and he immediately took down a pad and started writing notes and then went back to his trainer back home and said, I want to implement something that can get me to work on these things, like change my workout regimen. Like, in his mind, he's ready to work. And you talk about that being a dream for Harry Heastan. Like, he might not be the most polished right now, but with his work ethic, oh, man. You can already Mm -hmm. estimate his work ethic, his athleticism, everything you pointed out. His ceiling is probably the highest of the guys. I know you like Elijah Page a lot Mm -hmm. and his Mm -hmm. ceiling. Those two are one and two for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's – that's the biggest nugget for me is like how he took to Harry Heastan's coaching and critiquing. And we always worry about that. Like, okay, guys commit, but are they going to take to right. 
area he stands and the way he teaches and the way he goes after guys. And it's just absolutely amazing. Just a little nugget as well. They already, the 23 class, they're already trash talking when it comes to golf. <laughs> I think all of them golf. And like they've been tr- trash talking about when they get on campus, what the bet is going to be, when they're going to get out. It's just, man, the family atmosphere throughout these recruiting classes that has been created is second to none. It's really a joy to cover. Ryan, I'm sure you can talk when you talk to kids, just from Marcus Freeman to their positional coach to just Chad Bowden, everything is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I want to read a quote from Charles in the article that Sean wrote. The title of the article, if you haven't read it yet, is Harry Heaston, Irish staff made Notre Dame feel like home for Charles Jagasaw. And I wanted to read this quote. You had two different quotes here, Sean. One is, this is talking about his film session with uh, Coach Stan. He goes, I got excited once he started showing me things on film. I had a ton of questions, and before you knew it, it had been over two hours. And then later he wrote, uh, you wrote, I came back with notes on things to use this season from Coach Stan. I'm already working on things and workouts with my trainer and practices. I'm looking forward to a great senior year. Like, you know, that's the thing is, and, and we heard this with Elijah Page said something similar, you know, about, about that. So, this is a kid that it, I don't think work. I mean, the work's not going to be a problem, right? Like, I, I, if you're if you're if you're someone who doesn't have a work ethic, wrestling is not a sport you're going to have a lot of success in. I never wrestled, and that that was part of the reason I did. I was like, you got to do what? You got to do? Forget that. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna go throw the ball around. You know what I mean? The work isn't going to be a problem. The character's going to be there. But man, you just what you can't teach guys. You can't teach tools, right? You can't teach six six. You can't teach long arms. You can't teach a frame that can easily carry 315 plus pounds. You can't teach the kind of athleticism he brings to the table. And you can see it on defense, especially like his get off on defense when it's just like, kind of just, just go is really, really impressive. It might take him a couple years to kind of get it figured out, but he doesn't have to play as a freshman anyway, but he's the kind of kid that after a year going into year two, he could be in that position where he could step in for a Blake Fisher or a, a uh, Joe Walt, if they leave, you know, like let's say Blake Fisher comes back for a senior year and Joe Walt leaves, just move Blake over left tackle and, you know, insert somebody new at right tackle. And it, Jagasaw will have a chance to be that guy. If, if Blake Fisher's the one that leaves and you just slide him in, you know? So that's another aspect of it is this is a kid that is going to need a couple years, meaning his senior year and then freshman year is what I mean by a couple years. So he still has development to do uh, because you know, who else has been taking notes from these offensive line coaches is his head football coach and and the staff at, at Almond. So I think that's a big part of it too, guys, is this is a kid that has a chance because of his size, strength, and athleticism that, you know, he can play early. And Vince, we've seen a lot more of this lately. Like it, we went through a period of time for a while where, you know, freshmen and redshirt freshmen, you had, you had Steve Elmer, you had Quentin Nelson, but there just weren't a lot of redshirt freshmen and freshmen that were playing a lot. And right. we're seeing a lot more of that. And, and a big part of it is you have to have, I mean, you have to have that size. You have to have that strength. You, ha- you have to come with that. If you don't have well, that, it's going to be hard to get on the field early on. And I will say that across the board at the high school level, strength and conditioning is getting so much better. You're, you're seeing more and more schools hire a specific strength and conditioning coach you know what i mean and more and more um corporations doing that and that's only helping these guys get better faster stronger quicker in the past i mean gosh the the weight rooms that i i was in when i was a kid and i'm sure you guys were i mean it was a glorified garage with a bunch of rusty equipment i mean that that's what it was that's not the case anymore i mean even in the inner city school that i work at just got a hundred thousand dollar makeover on their weight room and 
that's the norm now, not the exception. So I think, I think the training is so much better at the high school level. It is benefiting these college coaches because they're getting guys that understand how to work out. They understand what it's like to be a year round football player and a year round workout because and also, I mean, guys aren't, weren't working out year round. Like they, when we were younger, they just weren't, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? At least not the elite guys, maybe, but not all around now it's way more across the board. And so I think that's a, that's a huge benefit uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Just to back up what you guys are saying, that's one of the things that jumped out on his April 10th visit as well. You know, that, that shocked us. He's watching practice and he's focusing on the second unit and how they're being coached. Right. Mm-hmm. He's not that's watching huge. the first unit. He's watching the second unit. Yep. And his thoughts are on that were, that's where I'm going to start. I know that's where I'm going to start. So I want to see how they communicate with those guys. And that's that really impressed him, how they were being coached up and they got the same amount of attention as the guys in the first unit. They made an impression on him in his visit during the April visit. So, you know, Notre Dame hit when they had the opportunity with this kid. They hit a home run and at least an extra base hit. If they didn't hit a home run, it was a double. It wasn't a double. It was a triple. They did. They met every expectation that he had, his coach had, and his mother and his family had. So it's a great job by the entire staff. But, yeah, that just shows you the mindset. He's a different kid. And I think all of the guys that they got along this offensive line are just different kids. The way they do things, the way they went about their recruiting and how they connected with Harry Heastan. Yo, this is how you want kids to embrace their recruiting and to look forward to becoming a part of whatever program they choose. You want it to happen this way. And it seems very organic, I guess is the word yeah. that they all mm-hmm. use. Their recruitment was just very organic. I think that's kind of how it is on offensive line. You see that a lot. You know, you, you do see that a lot. We're going to pop in a little bit of film here, guys, as we kind of watch this film. I, I think as you kind of look at Charles's fit at Notre Dame, look, obviously – I have a, a good friend of mine, Tim, who uh, put on the message board today. He thinks he could be a left tackle. I, it's hard for me to say he could be a left tackle. I, I don't see that because he's so raw. Uh, but, and he's such a powerful player. But, you know, he plays right tackle in high school. And you guys can see. I mean, everybody can see the size. I mean, this is, like I said, this is a massive, massive young kid. And he's only going to get bigger. And, you know, he's physical. He's powerful. He has no kind of technique. Sure. And that's the thing no. we're going to see on this film. But No, he doesn't. But, uh, you know, when he tries to reach block, it's like, like wow, that, that just – he has no idea what he's doing. But the punch, yes, the the power, I mean – And he what, is, once he latches on, I mean, it's yeah. game over. But Oh, yeah. Because he's so strong and big, right? And right. he's got that attitude of, I'm going to bury you. I It may not be the best-looking thing I've ever seen. It's not going to go on – you know, highlight films for how to do technique, but I'm going to bury you like that one right there. That right there. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. Like as soon as I get you, man, it's over, you know? And, uh, and if you go back to that other clip, it's not great footwork on his part. I mean, he pancaked the kid, but that's only because he kind of grabbed him and held on and then just pushed him away. He should be backing up a little, you know, he should have uh, good sync steps and things like that, which he'll learn with Harry Heastand, you know what I mean? I'm not dogging anybody that's coaching him at the high school level. You don't have to. This kid, Well, I mean, they went through he, – he didn't play as a sophomore because of okay. COVID, right? Sean's yeah. documented this. Yeah. They had a coaching change. You know, they had a longtime coach who retired. And and so the, the, they lost a bunch of kids from their program. So gotcha. it was, it's, a, it's a unique situation, and, and that's partly has factored into why he's so raw. But 
you know, on that clip you saw, Vince, he bends, he doesn't bend at the knees. He bends at the waist. And the thing you have to identify, Ryan, especially, because that's one of the first things line coaches look at is, is this guy a knee bender or a waist bender? Well, Mm -hmm. Charles is a waist bender. So then the next thing you have to identify, Ryan, is, is he doing that because he can't bend at the knees or because his technique stinks? And to me, it's very clear watching him on defense, the fact that he's a wrestler, other clips where he does it right. Ryan, it's a technical problem, not a not yeah. an agility, flexibility, or athletic problem. There's no, there's no athletic or physical deficiency for Charles Jagasaw. It is, it is like you said. There is a lot. I know. I, I kind of trying to thought watching that. No, that second. one right there. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, I know, I there's it. no technique. There's no none there. It's he just stops, boom. <laughs> he stops his feet. Yeah. He does. Yes. I mean, this is like I would never put this on a teaching tape. But just look at the. Power. But that shows you how yeah. strong he is, though, and his punch. I mean. <laughs> Poor kid. Well, he, I feel better everything. everything he does in, in pass pro too is just he's just jump setting or power setting, right? Like yes. there's no 45 degree set, there's no vertical set. Like this kid is bigger and stronger than everybody that he's going against. And yes. more athletic. Right. And more yeah. athletic. Right. Yes. And I think that the, the baseline is what's so incredible because I mean, I don't think we we've talked about like people having their the, the doubts about coach he stand and his impact and recruiting coming back and blah, blah, blah. We can have that conversation all day. But one thing that you cannot question is that he's a great coach, obviously, right. right. From a technical perspective. And the fact that we have this young man who is six, six, right around 300 pounds. Now to your point, I think he could hold three thirty. Like I personally yeah. do. I think that this kid could be Trey Smith down the line, like from a body type perspective, because he's got those broad shoulders, long levers i think there's plenty of room to add, to add weight to that frame but the big thing is wrestling will have his feet right. and his hands very quick which is a big bonus because as we improve the base and get him comfortable to bend at right. the hips that's where that's where the improvements are going to come i mean right. if you think he's powerful now just wait, wait till right. he gets his lower, body involved. his lower body yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly this I mean, is an example here of him of, of you know him coming off low and the quickness and the the pad level. I mean, he gets under this guy, blows that, him up, and then blocks the kick. And that was the best get off I've seen from a defensive clip of his. Yeah, because he does stand. He stands up on deep. Now look, he's playing Sometimes, both sides right. of the ball. Yeah. He's playing both sides of the ball on the line. Like that is not an easy thing to do. And what the first thing you do when you get tired is you start to stand up. And I, I want to know who this kid is because this is a big kid. If you look at their engagement here, this guy is not small. No. And Jagasol just destroys him. I yes. mean, just absolutely destroys him. Yes. It's great. Yeah. This kid's like so there, raw. That's so no strong. technique whatsoever. Like he's just picking his feet and putting him down where he where he's stuck, but then he just he still just drives guy off. Just you know, drives five, him yards yard. off the line. Yeah, I mean, look at that. Plants him. Yeah. But it's yeah. the finish. It's the finish it's that I finish. love because even guys with good technique, if they don't have that it factor to finish, you can't really teach that. You either have that or you don't. He wants to finish those blocks, which is what I right. love about this kid. 100%. This is one of his better pass sets here. But then once he engages, it's like it becomes a wrestling match. Right. Yeah, and exactly. it's funny. He said something to Sean uh, in, in the interview after the Notre Dame visit where he talked about his mom. His mom said something or maybe he said it. Sean, I forget. You well, tell me his, about his, his hands. Mom- his mom was was listening in on the conversation between <laughs> CJ and Harry Heastan, and she, you know, made it a point that yeah, he's going to have to get rid of some of those bad habits he has from wrestling, right. with holding and reaching out. And right. she's listening to the conversation and taking this in, and right. she was impressed with the connection. Right. 
that her son had with Harry Heastan. Like instantly, you remember, this is her first experience. She pointed out to me as well as CJ that the one coaching staff that she talked to the least was Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Like she talked to every other coaching staff more than she talked to the Notre Dame coaching staff. And that was her first time really getting a chance to talk to uh, Marcus Freeman and Chad Bowden. She had spoken to Harry Heastan more than those guys, but her whole, her entire purpose for going on that trip, we thought was really going to be about campus and seeing mm -hmm. the campus. And once we found out that she had already been there twice before, she had been there three years prior when her, her daughter was getting ready to choose a college. So she knew the campus. For her, it was all about football. And with her coming from an athletic family, it was easy for her to lock in and to, man, I don't know too many mothers that would take joy in a two and a half hour film session. Yes. O-line coach. You know, yes. They might have found somewhere on campus to go during that film session, but she was there locked in listening and she enjoyed it. CJ said, I think she enjoyed it more than I did. Matter of fact, that's part of that quote that you had, Sean, that I read earlier. The the end of that quote, it was, uh, you know, he said, I got excited once he started showing me things. I had a ton of questions and before you knew it, it had been over two hours. And then I jumped down to the other quote because the, it was more relevant. But this is how that quote actually finished. After the two hours, part, says, my mom was loving it more than me. She saw the connection between us. Yeah. So it wasn't just learning football, as you said, Sean. It was watching Harry Heastan and 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 her son connect. Yeah. The fact that he's willing to say, "Hey, here's where you're not you need you're not good right now, or you got to get better right now." We're you know we're going to focus on things you can do to be better, as opposed to coming in and oh, you're wonderful, we love you, you're the best thing ever. It's like, hey, look, here's how I'm going to make you a better player, mm -hmm. and that's what Harry's always done. And if you want someone to come and say, "Hey, you're you're wonderful," and the, you know, there's nothing wrong. You're going to play as a freshman. This isn't the place for you. And and that works because most offensive linemen aren't that way. They're really not. I mean, Ryan, you and I were talking about this the other day, or maybe it was me and Sean. I talked to all you guys so much. But we were talking about how kind of – how Sean, it was me and you. We are talking about when Urban Meyer was recruiting Liam Eikenberg, and he kept telling him, oh, you're going to come in to play as a freshman. And Liam Eikenberg right. was like, but I don't want to play as a freshman. Like, I, I know I'm not ready to play as a freshman. Like. Right. You know, and part of that was because Harry Heastan told him he wasn't ready to play as a freshman. Right. <laughs> so, right. you know, these these are different kids, and that's why you can't compare Harry Heastan's style to other people's style. You just you got to evaluate the results, and the results obviously, guys, are uh, an outstanding line class that, in my opinion, has you know two five star upside guys. In my view, I don't know yeah. if you guys would add a third. I mean, for me, it's Page and Jagasol. I don't know if one of you would want to make the case for Sullivan Absher. I think, you know, someone who could be in there, but, you know, Joe Wadding, Sam Pendleton, and we're going to kind of transition guys. The next part of this is we're going to look at this line class as a whole, because look, we can talk about recruiting rankings and, you know, where they got these guys from, which is kind of interesting because this is one of the more spread out line classes he stands ever had. Like when you go look at the 2013 class, right? You had McGlinty was from Pennsylvania. Colin McGovern was from Illinois. Uh, you had uh, Hunter Bibbin from Kentucky. So far, those three are all Notre Dame's home base. You had uh, you had uh, the kid from Massachusetts, uh, Motulis, and then you had Steve Elmer from Illinois. So the furthest away you got was like Massachusetts, right? right? I mean, you know, you talk about the 2014 class with Quentin Nelson was from New Jersey. Sam Musfer was the Maryland, D.C. area. Alex Bars was from Tennessee. Jimmy Byrne was from Ohio. 
You know, I mean, so you 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 kind of always had like a base area. You look at this class, obviously Jagasaw is the one base area guy, right? He is from Notre Dame's backyard. But the rest of their class, you have Joe Odding from Kansas. You have Elijah Page from Arizona. And then you got two North Carolina kids. That is new for Harry Eastan. Now, you, you started to see it somewhat later in his tenure. But, but even then, it was like you had Aaron Banks from California, but he was in a class with Robert Painty, who was from Pittsburgh, Josh Luck, who was from Pittsburgh, and um, uh, Dylan Gibbons was from Florida. Like, so you started to kind of see it a little bit there, but still, even then, it was still at least half of the class was, was regional guys. You occasionally would go out and get a Jerry Tillery from Louisiana or a player like that, but it was there's only one home home area guy in this class, and that's Charles Jagasaw. The rest of these guys are out of the region. So you're seeing in his return, Harry Heastan and the staff kind of expand where they're willing to go for kids. And to be honest with you, they they passed on some kids that they I I still think from from the sources I had that if Notre Dame would have really pushed for Austin Saraveld, that they felt they were going to get him. What happened there was when Sullivan Absher committed to Notre Dame at the Blue Gold game, they kind of said, okay, you know what? The, the guy we want is is Absher over Saraveld. Coming into that visit, the reason Notre Dame was pushing for Saraveld is because they didn't think they were going to get Sullivan Absher. We had reported on that. They were trailing for him, and they they were going to get Saraveld. So that's an Ohio kid. That's a regional kid. But they they didn't focus as much on that this time, guys. They focused on – talent and the fact that Harry Heastan is now kind of saying I'm going to go in three or four different you know three different time zones to get players that's he new needs to, wherever he yeah, needs to that's a new thing that's yeah. a new thing well and, and you you mentioned it earlier Brian the 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 commonality between all these guys is that finish that nasty streak and of course I mean that in a super positive way because that's what I want my offensive lineman to have and I've tried to teach that to kids and if they don't have it then it, it, you just it, they don't have it right, and every one of these kids, man, in this class, they've got that nasty streak, and that that's what gets me excited. I I, I trust Harry Heastan and his staff to teach these kids all the fundamentals because that's what he does. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. what he's amazing at. So if they're bringing that nasty streak in, and you couple that with what Harry Heastan is going to teach these kids, the sky's the limit for these offensive linemen and for mm-hmm. the offensive line in general at Notre Dame for the foreseeable future. Can you guys quantify or compare ceiling, overall ceiling of this class compared to the last four or five? Yeah, I think that's kind of where I want to go next because I think I think there's two ways we have to look at this. Number one, guys, is uh, the first way to look at it is how does a class fit? I think you have to look at a ceiling because this is a class that can play together. And and the first thing I would say is I think this class has a chance to play together even more than previous classes because you do have a bit more of a natural center type in Joe Otting. You have a natural left tackle in Eliza Page. You have two guys that are right tackle types in Sullivan Absher and Charles Jagasaw that both can easily transition to guard. And then you have Sam Pendleton. So you're you're talking about like if you know you're in a perfect world, you you know if this is your starting five, you've got Page at left tackle, you've got, you know, I'd just put Sam Pendleton at left guard, and and then I'd have Odding at center, and then I just kind of let Jagasaw and, and Absher figure out who's the tackle and who's the guard on the right side. And now I've got a, you know, Sullivan Absher's your small guy at six seven, two hundred ninety five pounds. <laughs> He's tiny. You know, when he so from a, a size standpoint, and so. 
you know, it plays together well. It's a physical group where where the discussion needs to be is it's very similar to last year's group. So let's look at the three years in a row. So you had three straight five-man classes. You had the five-man class in 21, which was Blake Fisher, which uh, Joe Alt, Rocco Spindler, Caleb Johnson, and Pat Coogan. Then last year's five-man class was uh, Emil Wagner, Billy Shrouth, Joey Tonona, Ashton Craig, and I'm drawing a blank on the, Ty Chan. So, and then of course this year's class you have Charles Jagosall, Sullivan Absher, Elijah Page, uh, Joe Odding, and and Sam Pendleton. So you have three five man classes. I think the thing that separates the classes is I would argue, and you guys tell me if you agree or disagree. Blake Fisher is still the highest ranked of all three of all the classes so far. Now, could Joe Odding surpass? I mean, Joe Odding. Could Charles Jagasol surpass Blake Fisher if he has like a big technical improvement this year? Sure. But there's a pretty big jump from where Blake was. Blake was much further along than Charles technically, so he was a, just a better prospect. So I think that the top, you know, that that Fisher-Jagasol, you know, it's from recruits, or uh, Fisher and, and Spindler was really, really good because Spindler was a top, you know, 100 right. kind of guy. I graded <laughs> him as more of a 150 yeah. kind of guy. You know, that one-two punch with that group was really good. and But the difference with that is, like, once you kind of got past number number three was Joe Alt on my board, and, and he was a guy that I loved his upside, but he needed time to develop, a lot like Elijah Page. I think Elijah Page is further along than Joe Alt was physically because he is an offensive lineman where Joe Alt was, you know, like 250, 260 pounds at this point in time. And then Caleb Johnson and Pat Coogan. And to me, Pat Coogan, if I'm ranking all 15 of the linemen, Pat Coogan ranks 15. So that class had the number one ranked guy and the number 15 ranked guy. And then last year's class, Billy Shrouth was really good. The rest of the class was just kind of guys with some ceilings, but not necessarily proven elite players. Like it was a really good class. I, I think Shrouth was the only guy that was a top 100 guy for me. Uh, I liked Joey Tonona a lot. Uh, Ty Chan was you know, he was a good potential, but but raw. Ashton Craig is a lot like Joe Otting to me. So I, as I look at the two guys, I mean, what's the criteria? It's a high-level talent at the top and then depth. And honestly, I think the, the conversation with the, between these last two classes is very interesting. And I kind of want to get your guys' opinion. So let's first start with the top-level talent, right? Like the two to three guys at the top. I think we would all agree that Charles Jagasol is number one. Who is everybody's number two right now? Not necessarily upside, but who's everybody's number two offensive lineman in this class? My, for me, it's uh, Eliza Page grades out the highest. I have exactly. him as a borderline top 100 player. Vince, you're, yep. you're on the same page there? Yeah, I am. Him or yeah. Absher for you? Yeah, Ab- okay. Absher would be the next one. So, I mean, if you're going, it's like 2A, 2B yeah. for me. I mean, they're very similar. It is Absher number three for everybody else? No. Wait. Mm. Yeah, him or Pendleton. Absolutely. And then, Absolutely would be number three. Then yep. Pendleton four. I actually like adding most. Okay, more. I'm I'm going off of just where they are now. I'm not looking so much as upside, uh, but I mean, adding is higher than Pendleton from an upside standpoint. So I'm I'm good with that one too. But adding and Pendleton are four and five, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So then last year it was I had Shrouth number one. Uh, did anybody else have um, anything different? Everybody else have Shrouth number one. Yeah. Um, I think the first question that, that I have is when you compare Shrouth, Fisher, and Jagasol, how would how would you guys rank those three? I think that because that's that's an interesting conversation for me. 
I would I would personally go Fisher, Jagasaw, then Shrouth. Just because Sean? I think. Yeah, sorry. I would agree sorry, with that. No, no, sorry. I, I, I thought you were done, right? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. Oh, no, no, you're fine. I, I was just going to say, because I'm always going to value the true tackle types, right? Because I think that Trouth could get by at right tackle potentially, but he's more of a guard center type of player. So I would just rank Fisher just uh, Fisher and, and uh, Jagasaw just on sheer importance of position a little higher, right. if that makes sense. Right. That was my expo- That was my justification for the, the ranking of those three. Mm-hmm. is positional need. Sean, how would you rank those three guys? Same way, same mm-hmm. order. Um, Shroud, the Flip Fisher, Shroud, and then, uh, no. Was that? It was Fisher, Jagasaw, Shroud. Shroud, yeah. yeah. Same order, I'm sorry. I would I got, argue that, go ahead, Vince. I say, I'll, no, go, no. I'll be the odd man out. I think it's Fisher, Shroud, and then Jagasaw. But again, you're, you're splitting hairs here, and I understand what you guys are saying. I, I guess I feel like Shrouth is more ready to play now than Jagasaw. That's what I was going to say. Billy yeah. Shrouth is a better high school football player. Right. Yes. He was a better high school football player than Charles Jagasaw is. Correct. That's, like, that was my justification. No question. 100% agree with that, Vince. And that's what I was going to add when I cut you off, but I'm glad I let you, <laughs> you, know, let you say that first. I, I think that's the thing for me is are we talking prospect or are we talking who's the better player? I think, I think most right. of us would agree that if we're just talking the better player, Shrouth is number two. Yes. Yes, and and not that far behind Blake Fisher. He was a heck of a high school football player, and I think he projects very high. So I think I think for me it comes down to what you said, Ryan. Is it's the positional fit? I think that's really what it boils down to because he's more of a pure inside guy. Where you know where I think Jagasaw could play tackle, and and I and I yeah we've said I think Shrouth could play tackle if that need was there, but it's not where you'd want to put him. Right. And so I kind of looked at it from like an NFL draft standpoint. You know, if you have a guard and a tackle of equal value, more often than not, you're going to, you know, yes. unless you just have already have, you know, Trent Williams and at one side and, you know, Garrett Bowles on the other or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're going to take the tackle. Sure. And that's kind of where it comes down to for me. But I think the important thing is, is because you, you got to look at offensive line as a whole, that's three high level top hundred players. I think yeah. we would all agree on. Yeah, sure is. So, oh, so yeah. then you look at number two, now, again, we're looking at him as a recruits. So I had Rocco number two as a recruit. Even though I had Joe Alt's ceiling was higher, Rocco mm-hmm. was a higher prospect at the mm-hmm. time for me. Did anybody Absolutely. have Joe Alt head, ahead of Rocco Spindler coming out of high school? Not upside-wise, but just as prospects? No. Nah. He, he's one where it's just too much of a projection, right? Like mm-hmm. you didn't even know what he would look like with 300 pounds on him at that point. So it's just too much to tell right. at that point. So. And you never so, saw him. You never saw him in a pass set. You never saw him right. in a traditional. I mean, he play, literally played right. tight end. So it's, he would block yeah. and run routes, right? Sean, exactly. did you have did you have Alt two or did you have Spindler two coming out of high school? You know what? I liked Joe Alt. Mm-hmm. I remember we had conversations, and I was just talking about, you know what? I think this kid is super athletic, mm-hmm. and if he can put on weight, I think he's going to be really good. Yeah. And I just thought the pedigree. That he his pedigree with his dad and understanding the game, being right. around the game. I thought his technique would be solid yeah. right off the bat. So I was pretty high on Joe. Yeah. I was high on him too. I gave him a four and a half star upsides grade. So yeah. he had a three and a half star grade and a four and a half star upside. You don't I don't normally have that kind of gap yeah, in jump. guys. So upside wise, there's no question about it. For me, it was just I thought it was gonna take him a while. It clearly didn't. And yeah. a lot of it's the stuff you talked about, Sean. It's the technique. It's the from his dad and all that, and the athleticism. The, to Ryan's point, though, I think it was a fair question of how is he going to move if he gets to 300 pounds, especially yeah. if he gets to 300 pounds early. 
Yeah. And Vince, remember that first practice you were at with Joe Walt? I was you were just like, going to bring that up. Like he is huge. And I was like, I, I asked Vince, take video of him going through stretch. Cause I wanted to see if he had any flexibility whatsoever. Now that he had basically gained 60 pounds in two years. And then you watch the move. You're like, okay. Yep. <laughs> right. The NFL pedigree is, is yeah. playing out. But so, so Spindler two, I think is kind of what the consensus will be. And then number two in last year's class, that is a much more interesting conversation, guys. I had Joey Tanona number two, although the highest ceiling of any offensive lineman in last year's class, in my, and it, I think arguably, is not Billy Shrouth. It's Emil Wagner. Yeah. And, you know, but I didn't have him number two because he's 260 pounds and he looks more like a tight right. end. Coming out of high school. An offensive I mean, lineman. yeah. Right. That's the question. So my number two sure. last year was actually Joey Tonona, who I think is a very good football player. Uh, he just, you know, he, he had the, he had a lower ceiling. I ranked him higher than Emil, but he had a four and a half star upside grade where Emil had a five star upside grade. And yeah. so I, I had Joey Tonona number two. Did anybody else kind of pound the table and say that they had Emil number two coming out? I, I, I would have had Emil last year personally. It, and I, I think we can tell by this conversation that I do trend towards potential sure. a little more maybe than some people do. So, so but the, the thing is, Ryan, you're, yeah. you're, you're putting them together, which is sure. fine, right? Yep. What I'm trying to kind of get at is we're looking at where they were as prospects, right? So that's okay. why I'm kind of trying to separate the two. That's why I do the upside grade sure. and the regular grade. But I think that's a but that's a valid point though. If if we're talking about upside conversation, then it's it's a no brainer. If you're adding the two into one, right. then it's a meal. But for me, it's also the floor of Joey is why he was number two. And sure. so, what's what Vince? I apparently I didn't eat enough lunch because you're like you put the two together and you have a meal and I'm like and yeah Vin, what ki- what yeah. kind of meal are we gonna have because I'm really hungry and I'm like oh my god his first name is a meal like I like uh, it was like an it was a, it was a joke for myself basically and I started laughing at myself that was, that yeah Vince you need joke. you need to have lunch great. man you apparently I'm lunch. hungry I don't know when you hear a kid's name a meal and you start thinking like ooh sandwiches <laughs> yeah order order a pizza baby order a pizza. totally not even close to what we were talking about but that's what yeah. it was all right that's where vince <laughs> nine goes yeah sorry about uh, that so so if we're going to go number two whether it's you can make the case for whichever one uh so rocco either emil or joey take your pick you can argue uh, the other or the number two in this class i think is another debatable one so you know i think vince you was it vince or sean who was it that was thinking they might have of uh ryan was it you who was it that was thinking that they might have Sullivan number two? Vince, it was you. You thought so, maybe yeah. Sullivan. Yeah. So, but if you look at Elijah Page and you compare him to Rocco and then Joey Tonona, it, it's kind of a similar thing that we're talking about with Emil. Is Joey Tonona, I think, was a better player as a high school junior than, than Elijah Page. There's no question about it. Joey Tonona is a really good football player in high school. But Elijah Page has – one of the five highest ceilings of anybody we're going to talk about of all three classes. And sure. so to mm-hmm. me, you know, and I think that he now is 300 pounds. His grade has jumped up, which is why he checks in at number two. Uh, and then you kind of get into number three, uh, you go to, you know, my number three guy, we talk about Absher. Now you're comparing him to Caleb Johnson or Joe Alt in the first class. Yeah. And then last year, number three is Emil or Ty Chan, you know, depending on who, who you talk to. I had Ty Chan fourth. I had Emil third just because of the upside. And I think Emil's a, Emil Wagner's a really good high school football player too. 
It just mm-hmm. the size is the concern. Yeah, I mean, 260, you're not going to be a yeah. D1 lineman. You got to, you yeah. got to stack that frame. Yeah. You have so, to. And, and 260 doesn't bother me, mm-hmm. Vince. And it, and I know what you're saying. It's it's the 260 with that narrow frame. You know, like he he looks more like Keon Keeley than he does right. Elijah Payne. Right. No, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Yes. And right. that's the concern. And then you get down to four. You know, that's kind of where 2020 the 2021 class falls out of this conversation. So I think one through three, 2021 with Blake, Rocco, and Joe Alt, however you want to have it, can compete with the trio of of Billy Shrouth, uh, Emil, and and uh, who do we – Joey Tonona, right? Yeah, I agree. And then yeah. this year of – I mean, I would even argue you could make a case that the three of Fisher, Rocco, and Joe Alt is better than the top three of Jagasaw, Page, and Absher. I think you could make that case. Would anybody want to push back on that? No, no, I think I think you can make the argument. No, yeah, I, I would probably go with this top three over last year's top three, just yeah. because I'm more certain of Page projecting over Wagner because of the size already. Yeah, sure. Although I think Emil Wagner's upside again, guys. If if we're talking just upside, I don't know if anyone other than maybe Blake Fisher has a higher ceiling than Emil Wagner. It's one of those two, or maybe Jagasol. That those are the three. If we're talking just pure ceiling. Yeah. Uh, but again, the floor is the concern. But I, I'll take this year's three uh, over. I, I think you could make a case that last year's three is as good as this year's three uh, is in some regards. But I'm still going with this year's because I like the size of this year's top three. I mean, you're talking about yeah. and Absher's the lightest mm-hmm. dude, the lightest dude of the group at 285, 290. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's six six, six six, and six seven. It's long. You know what I mean? Like it's just. I really like this trio. And what really separates the 22 and 23 classes, guys, is four and five. You've got Caleb Johnson and, and Pat Coogan. And Caleb's a nice player, but he's very undersized. And he's had a hard time in two years in Notre Dame. He just can't add weight. He just he can't get to the, the size that you need, which is, again, my concern with Emil Wagner. Caleb Johnson's very similar body type, very similar frame as Emil Wagner, and he's had a really hard time getting the weight where he needs to get to. And then And then you look at, the two of last year, your bottom two were Ty Chan and, and Ashton Craig, which is a really good four and five. And then this year it's Joe Wadding and and um Sam Pendleton. Uh, Sam Pendleton. So it's 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 really a tough comparison between the two, Sean. And I think the reason I would probably go with this year's class is like I think it's a more natural five man group. Okay. And because I think overall I have a lot more confidence in the tackles in this year's class where I felt last year's class was a bunch of basically interior guys. I mean, I think Emil Wagner is the only guy that I feel comfortable being a tackle. So if we're just talking, so here's what we did. We just talked pure talent and pure talent. Right. If we take position out of it, I think 22 and 23 are really close. Would you Mm -hmm. guys agree with that? Yeah. It's splitting hairs. Here's the big difference. I think Ty Chan's best position is at guard. I think Billy Shrouth is a guard center. I think Ashton Craig is a guard center. I think Joey Tonona is a guard center. So Tonona could play right tackle if he needed to. Uh, and, you know, we'll see kind of what's going on with him here moving forward. But we're just talking about where he was as a recruit. I think Chan could play right tackle. I don't love him there. I think Ashton Craig could play right tackle. I don't love him there because of the size. Uh, and and Shrouth could play there. But I think we would all agree that their number one position for all four of those guys is inside. Yes, no question. And that's the that was the concern for last year's class. Whereas this year's class, at least two guys. Now, Ryan, 
you know, we, we've kind of had this discussion a lot. You know, you really like Jagasaw inside a guard. I like him as a tackle. You, you know, we, but, but between Jagasaw and Absher, one of those two can definitely play tackle. We would all agree. And then of course, Elijah Page is a natural tackle, just like Emil Wagner is a natural tackle. So the fact that there's more guys that can be tackles for me is what, is what allows this class to, to rank ahead of the last two because it's a better five-man group. It's not just five good players that really can't play together in an elite level because you don't have enough tackles. And there's there's some questionable, can the one pure tackle you have gain the necessary size to be a, a big-time player? This yeah. is a much more natural five-man group, in my opinion. Thoughts on I, that, I, Sean? Ryan, we'll start with you, then we'll go Sean and then Vince. Yeah, no, I, I said I, I think that that's paramount to talk about. Whether it's an offensive line group, whether it's a defensive line group, whether it's a wide receiver group, it's about how things mesh. Get that look off your face, Vince. You're killing me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's about how players can play together. I guess Brian didn't see his face, which would have no, been I a didn't. lot funnier. But I know, right? Uh, um, so the, the impossibilities of playing together, the grow together, I think that's kind of what pushes it up for me. And then, I mean, even guys – because for me, Brian, like even if you compare 2023 to 2022, you could say Ashton Craig and Joe Odding are similar players in the sense that they're undersized developmental players that need to add weight. And then, you know, potential is nice. But right now they're probably not suited to play football year one, which is understandable that I just think the depth also that I just prefer a little bit more in 2023 as well, because I think that. I think Joe Otting is going to surprise some people. I yeah. really do, man. I think he's going to develop into a really good football player. And if Sam Pendleton ends up being your lowest impact player, it's like, yo, that's a pretty good player, man. That's a good football player, yeah. you know? So I, I do lean 2023 because I think they play better together. And I think even the depth pieces, which are somewhat of a gamble, quote unquote, I think that guys like Joe Otting have a tremendous upside. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Sean, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I just point out that the conversation I had with Charles Jagasaw's coach, I flat out asked him, like, what position is he, do you project him? He's, he's playing tackle. Mm-hmm. Almost yeah. as if a conversation had taken place. Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to be given the chance to play tackle? Harry Heastan says, I see you as tackle. That's where you're playing. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's one of the deciding factors, and that's a question that he put out to all four of the schools that were his finalists. So I agree with everything Ryan said and everything you said. This class is a complete class that you can just line up and say, you know what, go play. Mm-hmm. This is how we're going to line you up and go play. And like he said, the depth, if Pendleton, if we're really sitting here debating about Auden and Pendleton and which one is Absher and right. Absher, then what we're basically saying is this is a pretty darn good offensive line group. That's what, that's what we're saying, and the fan base should be happy. You know the coaching staff is happy, and Harry Heastan is rubbing his hands together saying, I can't, because most of these guys, if I'm not mistaken, I think Charles expects to be an early enrollee, 
And I think a couple of the other guys are saying they're going to be early enrollees. So, you know, Matt Bayless is excited to get them in, on camp. The trend, and Ryan, you do this a lot for the NFL. Mm-hmm. Did the NFL make it sexy for recruiters to go out and get guys like Joe Alt and Emil Wagner and project them to tackle and then take guys that were traditionally tackles and say, you know what, you can be a super athletic guard, you know, because you I see some people saying, well, maybe Jagasaw can go inside and be really good. Mm-hmm. It's like that mindset, was it the NFL first, drafting these guards in the first two rounds like they previously <laughs> weren't? changing the scene or did it happen in the college and high school ranks and then the nfl started to react to that because i think it's very he harry he has been known for doing that mm-hmm. taking guys that were tackled yep. bumping them inside and making them really athletic guards i'm just yeah. interested in like what was the bookmark of when things started to trend in that direction it's a great question I, I would say that you've seen it both on the college and the nfl level historically i mean like you even talked about john alt which is joe old's father he was literally a high school tight end turned yeah. offensive tackle as well at the university of iowa right but i think that you've seen those examples like i think of like jason peters that played tight end at arkansas i think i would probably say it was a college to nfl trend originally because it's like you know these big tight these big blocking tight ends because the game used to be a little different obviously right so like tight ends used to weigh a little bit more back in the day and it's like Mm -hmm. okay they don't have the necessary movement skills to transcend into an impact player in the passing game on the next level so like let's bulk them up a little bit and then that's kind of i mean you've even seen like alejandro villanueva was at army he was playing wide receiver and like that triple option offense and he's the starting left tackle in the nfl so i probably i would say that probably historically without the research behind it, it was probably a college football to NFL transition from like an NFL draft perspective. But I think you have, you do have a lot of instances where high school kids, big tight ends, Joe Waltz, like, Hey, let's turn him into an offensive tackle because that the, the paramount thing for, especially from tight end to offensive tackle is you want length, you want flexibility, you want foot quickness. Right. And it's like, let's move guys inside. That's kind of how that trend works. So I, I would say it's it's kind of always been there, Sean, to be honest with you. that's a It's a great talking point, though. I would love to just kind of sit down and look at some of the best examples from like high school to college and college to the NFL. And I think we can pinpoint it a little better, but it's a fascinating conversation. It's, it's interesting because I'm thinking like most fan bases, when they hear, like if they hear you say, you know what, I really think Jackasaw would be a really good guard. A lot of people will say, a guard? But the way the game has evolved? The, the value of the guard position, the way the game has opened up and is not pretty much straightforward, running the ball 40, 50 times a game, I think the value on the guard position, to see someone say Jagasaw can be a really, really good tackle or he can be an elite guard, that's not a bad thing. And sometimes fans will look at that and say, Oh man, why did we get him if he, you know, if you're gonna move him inside? It's like, yo, if you have that versatility and athleticism, you can be elite at a position. Yeah. Be elite at that position. So it's just just an interesting trend that we're seeing overall in recruiting, especially at Notre Dame over the last couple of years with all Emil Wagner and guys like that. I, I think a fascinating conversation too that comes out of that is if you have a guy, let's say Charles Jagasaw, for instance, that could be, a, let's say we are confident that he could be a really good offensive tackle. But to your point, he can be an elite guard. Elite is better than very good, obviously, but 
the fact that an offensive tackle is more important than a guard, right. where is that balancing point to where you would prefer to play them at that point? Yeah. I have a comment on this, guys. I have a theory on this. I think I think a lot of this is also in reaction to what's happening with the defensive trends, right? Because mm-hmm. so so what started to happen was uh, it's it's like they're reacting to each other. So as we saw in college first, the spread really become a thing in college, and it went to college first. And then you, it used to be where NFL would influence the college game to a degree, and, and the college game never influenced the NFL game because it was like option and power option and all that. You know what I mean? Like no NFL team was trying to mimic what Nebraska was doing in the 80s and what Notre Dame was doing in the 80s, right? It was just a different kind of deal. But you started seeing NFL teams and college teams have an influence on each other when it came to like the run and shoot, you know, Sean, our age, right? The run and shoot, you know, was, was that was that transcending thing. And then the spread offense, you're seeing more and more college coaches like Lincoln Riley uh, Joe Brady sort of having an influence on what NFL teams are doing. And you're starting to see the NFL more and more and more going and hiring college offensive coordinators to come run their offense. We'll see if it's successful or not. But I think so what happened is, is the advent of of the spread offense and and getting in space. And we talk a lot about this in their aim is then forced defense to say, OK, well, we can't just line up in a four three anymore with our, our wide nine technique. And he's, you know, doing all this kind of stuff. And and teams are looking for different type of tight ends now. You know, you want a George Kittle where, you know, when I'm growing up, I'm watching, you know, the Washington Redskins with Clinton Didier and, you know, the guys they have, they're these big tight ends. And then the Broncos had like Orson Mobley and Clarence Kay and Mark Bavaro. And you had these bigger tight ends. Well, those guys went through a period where there weren't a lot of teams looking for that because teams just didn't use tight ends. And so Notre Dame always had those kind of guys and, and Penn State would have those kind of guys. But for a long time, I mean, the last decade, just a lot of teams just don't utilize a tight end really hardly at all. And so what you started to see is the guys that used to be those 6'6", 260-pound tight ends started moving to offensive line in high school. Because what was happening is, is that as high school teams got faster, it was ter- take your line, take your safeties, turn them into linebackers, take your linebackers, turn them into ends, take your ends, turn them into tackles. And as, as college offenses and, and then pro offenses started with the RPOs and getting the ball to the perimeter, it became like, well, yeah, I've got this freaky defensive end, but we can't get him to the quarterback. So what's the fastest way to get to the quarterback? Right up the middle. And so then you start to see an even greater emphasis on, okay, we need to find some guards that can move. Because it used to be if you were a guard, you were just a big physical guy. You didn't necessarily move that much. Well, then what you started seeing from Harry Heastan, especially at Notre Dame, and he wasn't alone, is you started seeing more and more teams in college taking a bunch of tackles and moving them into guard, where you were getting long, physical, but you were athletic. You could pass pro up the middle. And now in the NFL, we're seeing more and more guards getting these big contracts because people understand, hey, I got to block Aaron Donald now, (laughs) right? I got to block guys like that where, you know, teams aren't going for the, you know, the Jordan Davises aren't, aren't as prominent anymore. Teams are now going with 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 fronts, Ryan. We're like even like defensive tackles like are being de-emphasized because more and more teams are going with like you know three man type fronts, even out of four man looks, where they're going with like more of a Malik Jackson sort of guy as a three technique, who's a pass rusher. And so I think that's what's happening a lot is and these pass offenses where so many NFL teams are in a shotgun now, and so many teams are getting rid of the ball quickly that the best way to influence that is right up the middle. Because if I'm getting a great pass rush and that guy's in a shotgun, as a quarterback, if you don't have a good passer up the middle and your t- but your ends are good, I can easily slide into that protection. I can spin out of it, whatever we do with that. But if that pass rush comes out in the middle, the play's over. I'm spinning out and I got to get out of the pocket and do something else. 
So I think that's the evolution part of it also is how they kind of go back and forth to where as defense has got smaller and faster, offensive lines had to get more athletic and more able to handle the pass rush. And I think that's part of it as well. Uh, in my opinion you're even seeing tackles now transition all the way into center like it, it yeah. like there's there's a lot of instances where it's not like all right tackle now in the guard now in the center they'll go right i mean there was a kid from wake forest this year they got drafted zach tom that literally tackle center player yeah. right like the guard completely got cut out of the conversation we talk about jared patterson he's a bigger center but like the reason he's there is because he has very good foot quickness and he has link and he's linked for that position right then you talk about Josh Myers that we've talked about before, Brian, right? Like high school offensive tackle goes right into center. He doesn't go into guard, right? And, and you're seeing that more and more, the Alex Mack type of centers, those guys that have foot quickness and have length, they're just trying to become more fleet of foot. I think some people confuse that like, oh, the center position is getting bigger. No, it's getting longer and more athletic. Mm-hmm. It's not actually getting bigger when you really think about it. it the guy's sitting out 6'5", 305 instead of being – Six two and a half, three oh five. That used to be. So it's just a different brand. To your point, it's it's evolution. This is a game where you get lost in the trends. If you don't adapt, you don't survive. Right. So as we look at this group, guys, I think as we kind of as we evaluate it, you know, I'm not sure if I would say that this offensive line class is like elite, elite for me. There's a lot of projection with Elijah Page. A lot of projection with. Uh, sale of an absure, a lot of projection with Charles Jackson. So I think that for me, guys, is why I'm not ready to put it into like the elite category yet. You know, uh, it, it to me, if you look at the last 10 years, beginning with the 2013 class, and then you know, that was the McGlinchey, Elmer, uh, Biven McG- uh, class. And then you look at 14 with Quentin Nelson and Alex Bars and Sam Musk for Jimmy Byrne. You know, 16, you had Eichenberg, Tommy Kramer. Uh, you know, then you kind of just kind of transition on. The 17 class was loaded with Aaron Banks, Josh Lugg, Robert Hainsey, J- uh, Dylan Gibbons, which, interestingly, all four of those kids became multi-year starters at the Power 5 level, even though because yeah. Dylan Gibbons is going to be a two-year starter at Florida State. Florida State, yeah. You know, that ended up being a really good class. And so, and then, of course, you look at the last two. I would argue that this group has a chance to have as high of a ceiling grade as any of those classes. But I do think because your top three guys, we all we all said in some order, for the most part, your top three is is Jagasaw, Page, and and um, Absher. Correct. We all we all agree on that. Yeah. They're all guys that have work to do. They're they're not Quentin Nelsons. They're not you know where he was coming to high school. They're not Hainsey. They're not Eichenbergs. Guys that were like you know big and strong and you know pretty polished players. These are very high ceiling guys. So. I can't because the reason the reason I say that and you guys I want you guys to push back on this if 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 you disagree the reason I love this class but it's not quite an elite elite class without a guy like a Monroe Freeling is because he was the the one guy that had the floor and a ceiling but from a ceiling standpoint I think I could stack this class up against anybody except even the 2014 class because that was I mean Q and Bars and Musford but then after that it was like Jimmy Byrne and then nothing else this class is in that conversation from a upside standpoint, but I'm not quite ready to, to call it an elite group. And it could become that if they if they make jumps as seniors. But as of right now, it's not. Right. Because whenever you have a lower floor, there's greater risk to will guys pan out. And because you have, in my opinion, four of your five guys are, you know, not that they have low floors, but lower floors compared to a Billy Shrouth, a Blake Fisher, uh, you know, guys like that, even a Rocco Spindler, 
I have to say I'm not quite ready to put in that elite category. I need to see what they do as seniors first. Does anybody disagree with that with that that thought process? It's I mean, it's a top five offensive line class. It, don't get me wrong. It's it's going to probably go down as one of the three best in this in the country because of the ceilings. But if you're talking about just like a truly elite class, not where you're ranked, because it could be the number one class in the country this year, and it still doesn't make it elite. It's elite relative to what is elite. Elite is elite. I don't care if you're the number one quarterback in the country. I'm not bumping you up into a five-star unless you're a five-star, mm-hmm. right? Like the recruiting ranks will do that. If you're the number one quarterback, they're going to bump you up into be a five-star status. I don't believe in that. I think it's you are what you are. This is an excellent offensive line class. I don't know if anyone's going to have a better class this year, but if just looking at a big picture – I have to see senior years before I'm ready to call it elite. So right. I go Ryan, Sean, and Vince on what you guys think about that. No, I, I think it's fair. I think that for this conversation, you have to have both the floor and the ceiling in mind when you're kind of looking at this, right? It's because, I mean, there's, let's be honest, somebody in this group's not going to pan out, obviously, right? right? Like not every one of these players are going to end up being what their perceived ceiling is. It would be awesome if they were, because then Notre Dame's in great situation, obviously, but you don't want to depend too much on guys that are those boomer bust type of players, right? right? Like that. That's not what you want to, you know, put all your eggs in the basket. And I'm willing to do it more on offensive line, maybe because I have such deep belief in Harry. He developing mm-hmm. them. Sure. But to your point as what the quality, that's why you do grade, what the current grade is and what the upside grade is, because you do have to have some separating factors there. So I'm completely fine with the fact that I wouldn't call it an elite group right now either. I would say Mm -hmm. that it has a chance three, four years from now, it could be an elite group if everyone puts it all together. But right this second, there's just too much uncertainty and there's too much separation between ceiling and floor. Thought, Sean? I think it's the class, and this goes back to Harry Heastand, but this is the class that you might not call elite right now, but they will give you right. probably the all-around performance across the board yeah. that you might not have seen. Yeah, for about that's that years. ceiling talk, right, that's Sean? I mean, yeah. Talk. The return to that for the Notre Dame offensive line, and then each and every class after that builds upon that. And you might actually see a run, a 3-4 run, that might rival mm-hmm. that run from like 14 through 18. Yeah, offensive line play at Notre Dame. It could be starting with this yeah. class, even though you don't want to put that tag of elite on them right now. I definitely have a response to what you just said, Sean. Uh, but I want to let Vince kind of give his thoughts on this. No, you go so ahead. Vince, I know, I know you've been diving into the film and, and those type of things of these guys. Well, the last couple of days too. My my, I've got two points I want to make. Number one uh, is this class is balanced, and that's what I like about this class. And you guys kind of already discussed it, but that's my favorite part about this class is you've got guards, you've got tackles, you've got inside, you got outside. They're balanced and they're good. That's my favorite part about this class, okay? And we talk about, you know, class rankings and things of that nature, and I love the fact that when Brian ranks his classes, or Irish Breakdown ranks their classes, Brian, it, it is, it's about fit and it's about balance. It's not just about right. what your recruiting ranking is and points right. and all of that. And I think that's so right. important because if I'm a coach, because look, what, what do we do at Irish Breakdown? We look at it as coaches, right? If I'm a coach and I'm recruiting a class, I want balance. I want guys that are going to fit to what the roster are I already have. You know, I want them to fit into that and balance is key to that. So I think that's what's most important about this class. And then number two, I want to jump into the uh, the Jagasaw positional flexibility argument here real quick. 
what I would say, and I, I completely understand why Harry Heastan told him, hey, you're a tackle. I'm going to coach you up as a tackle. That That's that's what you tell a kid. I, I have no problem with that. And I'm not saying he's going to go off, go back on that. But what I would say, he is so raw in his technical ability that once I got him on campus, if I'm Harry Heastan and I started teaching him how to be an offensive lineman from a technical standpoint, I'm going to go off what he's best at from a technical standpoint. If he doesn't have a good drop step, you know, if he, he doesn't portray some of those tackle technicalities that I really want to see in a kid, move him inside. He's going to be elite. You know what I mean? I think, I think the jury's still out just a little bit. And so I, I was, (laughs) I was, Uh, but I think the jury's still out on where you can put him. So I think that's the best part about him. So. I think that's always kind of where Coach Eastand is, right? Like yeah. this is we're gonna we're gonna work it, and I want you thinking this. When I, I I think you got to be careful telling a kid that maybe he can move somewhere else because then if he struggles, you don't want him thinking like maybe I should exactly. just move the guard. <clears throat> Could not, you agree. know. But but yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. But like the message to Sullivan Apture has been a little different, Ryan. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they've said Sullivan Apture, hey, you're a tackle, but right there's that but, right? They didn't give that but to to Charles Jackson. Sean, right. I want to push back on something. Not push back on something. I want to add on to something that you said. You were talking about you know, the run and the floor. And, and the, the thing that I'll say is the reason that I'm so excited about this class, I'll be completely honest with you guys. I'd be a little nervous about this class signing with Notre Dame if Harry Heastan was the line coach. Fair. If we were looking at – if it was and, – and I'm not trying to pick on Jeff Quinn, but I'm just being honest. Yeah. Because these guys are all kind of raw. I mean, you're in, in, in different ways. Like Charles, Charles Jagasaw has like no technique, right? He's like just none. You look at Sullivan Absher, and he's a kid that – has coming from a triple option offense. I've never, I've literally never seen Sullivan Absher pass set. I mean, right, right. Literally, I've never seen a pass set. Uh, you know, Elijah Page. It's like you know, it's the of evolution. I'm, I'm actually more confident that he would be okay because his issue is more Matt Bayless related. He's probably got the high of the three we just talked about. I think Elijah Page has the highest ceiling. Yeah, because he's already fundamentally sound. He's been very coached, coached very well in high school. Now it's about okay, what can Matt Bayless do with him? Full confidence. Same thing with Joe Otting, though. Like Joe has Joe is a really fast, athletic, physical kid, but he's you know he's a he comes from a. I mean, does don't they run the option offense as well? It is high school a little bit. I thought, I thought they run the wing T. I could be it's wrong. Wing T, right? So I mean, there's a lot of technical stuff that needs to be done. And yeah, Sam yeah. Pendleton's a guy that needs a little bit of polish as a technical guy. The, or I meant, that, I meant, I meant single wing. I think they run some single yeah. wing there. It's so, yeah. the, but the the point is, the technique is it's a very different thing than what he's used to. He's another guy that hasn't done a lot of pass setting. So, if 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 I'm just going to be honest, I would not be as high on this class if they had a different line coach. To your point, Sean, this is the kind of guy that you love to see Notre Dame get when you have a Harry Heastan. I don't care about the floor when right. I got Harry Heastan as my line coach. I care about the ceiling. And I think that's the that's the thing I love about this group is if you compare it to he stands first full offensive line class, which he he needed a year to build his first offensive line class in regards to like getting hired in January, you know, and then you know you signed that immediate class. It was it was um, Ronnie Stanley, Mark Harrell. That was it, you know. But then his first full class, which is similar to this one, it was a five man class that had Mike McGlinchey. It had Steve Elmer, which is who's I, I liked a lot. You had Hunter Biven, you had Colin McGovern, you had John Montalus. I like this group better. 
And the reason for it is, is McGlinchey had an incredibly high ceiling. I mean, I, you know, Vince, you and I, I remember talking about that back in the day. It was like, man, because yeah. someone that we knew didn't think he was going to be any good. And because, you know, and we were like, uh, you're wrong. He's going to be really good uh, <laughs> uh, because, you know, once he stops playing basketball and all that other kind of stuff. Right. And and loved it. But after that, I was like, I, I loved Colin McGovern, but his ceiling was lower. You know, I liked Hunter Biven. Ceiling was lower. I, you know, I liked John. Mo- I, I didn't love John Montalus, to be honest with you. I wasn't a big fan of John Montalus. I think he's just kind of a big sloppy kid that just beat up on Massachusetts kids. Right. I wasn't a big fan of him. But Colin McGovern, I liked. And then Steve Elmer, I liked a lot. Steve Elmer had a very high floor, <clears throat> high ish ceiling, you know. But this class to me, it's ceiling, it's ceiling, it's ceiling, it's ceiling. I mean, I love the ceiling of this group. I mean, the only guy that I don't view as a, as a, having a really like day one, day two poten- draft pick potential is Sam Pendleton. Just because I don't think he's the athlete the other four are. But that's the thing, guys. If, if your lowest ceiling guy is freaking Sam Pendleton, <laughs> who you beat Michigan and Clemson for, that's where I get that's where I get excited. So it, Sean, sure. your point is it is the fact that Harry Heastan is back is why I'm excited about this class. I'm telling you right now, guys, I would have a completely different feel in a little bit. I mean, yeah, they're talented, but that would be my response if we were talking about a different line coach. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm yeah. really excited about this class as well. And I don't dig into the crates, you know, with a musical uh, connection there. I don't dig into the crates like you guys do from offensive line play, but just reading what you guys have written about each of these guys every time they've committed and watching a little bit of film, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. Like I said, man, when we can literally sit here and debate like, no, I think I'll put this kid three. No, maybe I can put this kid two, or maybe I can put this kid. Look, it's a great all-around class. I think they're going to reestablish what Notre Dame line play is supposed to be like. You know, when they both get to that point and they're going to lay a foundation where I think the 24 I'm looking for. Now I'm looking forward to what the heck the 24 O-line class is going to look like. Like, OK, if this is 23 with him coming in the doors on January 24 and he gets a full this whole staff now. I mean, you're talking about going into the season with like 21, 22 commits. And they can like just really, really focus in on the twenty-four class. Man, sky's the limit for what yeah. they can, what they can do for the twenty-four offensive line class. So, Sean, it's it's funny that you just said that because I actually just wrote an article that um, I should be live on the on the site at some point. But I talked about Chancey Stuckey. Everyone's really excited about what the twenty twenty-three class could look like. I'm more excited about twenty twenty-four when right. he has a year under his belt when he's had his ability to get out on the road and really understand regionally how I'm going to attack this board. I mean, you, you're talking about guys like, I know we're kind of getting off tangent a little bit, but like the chance that you have to have Braylon James, Jane Greathouse, Ronan Hannafin, Rico Flores, like a great class. But the fact of the, the matter is that I'm more excited to see what he has after a year under his belt. I don't think that's the, everyone's so excited about 2023 and I get it, but like 2024 for me, and I don't want to look ahead too much, but that's the impact, the fact that we have a new coaching staff and they're still kind of getting their graces, right? That's why mm-hmm. it's so cool is that Coach Freeman has come in and immediately said, immediate impact? Absolutely. But yeah. we're also establishing something here where it's not just 2023. It's going to be 2024. It's going to be 2025. So I'm more excited. I think that, again, this staff, 
the energetic side of it because you have you do have a young staff outside of Coach He Stand and, yep, yep. and you know and you Al have Golden. a younger staff. I guess Al Golden, Golden but I mean yeah. he's not Al's he's not like, old. What, 50s? Al yeah, Golden's fifty one. Yeah, he's, he's not the old. oldest dude on the staff. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. not old. Gotta be careful what we say, Ryan. Yeah. Well, get, you know. <laughs> I, I didn't say anything. Yeah, it was that was completely you. So. Hey, Sean, <laughs> you have my permission to slap Vince with that right hand and just just. <laughs> Knock him out, John. Knock him out. Give him a jacket song. Oh, yeah. But what do you guys think about? Are you shocked? Because, Brian, we were all sitting here wondering, and Vince, you were right there with us, like, yo, what is this staff going to look like? Mm -hmm. We thought they would have this person in place by now. We we remember those conversations in those days. And, like, to be here. With this 23 class and this staff, it's almost like someone tweeted this today, and I thought it was perfect. They said Brian Kelly came to Notre Dame at the perfect time, mm-hmm. and he left Notre Dame. Yes. At the perfect time. Yes. Absolutely. It's yes. like, you know what? You're right. Personal feelings aside, Sean, yes. yes. Brian Kelly was the right hire for the, for, at that I time. I agree. Yes. There's no question. Do I get upset about certain things, this, that, and the other thing? Yes, I do. But the fact is, is that the the baseline of what we expect for a, a good season now is completely changed, and he yeah. get he he deserves some credit for that. So does yeah. Jack Swarbrick. So does some other people. But yes, but he left at the right time. You're 100 right. Uh, because again, let's just say that Jeff Quinn could have put this line class together. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still not as excited about it because I, I don't think he can coach it. Yeah. And that's the difference. And that's my optimism about the staff is I, I'm more confident this staff is going to maximize more of the potential of the team. Like Sean, yeah. how many times have you and I been in a conversation where in the middle of the conversation, one of us more often than not me just starts getting pissed as we're talking about some former team. And it, it's you at a lot of the time too, but just, yeah. I just, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to turn my, you know, you don't have to yeah. turn the heat, the, the, the oven on for very long to get my, you know, mind boiling, you know, I'm just kind of always on like a simmer, you know? Uh, but it's just like, man, imagine if this team had insert coach's name, imagine yeah. if this defense had insert coach's name, imagine right. if this team had insert, whatever coaching wise. Well, that's where I feel like we are. And when we talk about the offensive line in particular, I think that's what kind of has me so excited about the last couple of years, you know, like I'm much more confident that Mio Wagner is going to reach his full potential now because you have Mary Heastan and Matt Bayless are the ones responsible for getting him there. You know what right. I mean? Right. Uh, you know, if he doesn't pan out, he wasn't going to pan out. There's nothing that could have been done about it. It is what it is. You know, same thing with Elijah Page. I'm much more confident Elijah Page is going to reach his five-star upside. I'm much more. I would have been real nervous about Notre Dame getting Charles Jagasaw if Jeff Quinn was still the line coach. Do I yeah. think that Jeff Quinn would have landed Charles Jagasaw? Yeah, I do. I, I do. Sean, I think you would agree with me. Yeah. If, if they would have made him a priority and yeah, they sure. would have probably got him, right? Probably got him. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if they'd have got Elijah Page. I don't think they would have got Sullivan Absher. They would have got Sam Pendleton if they wanted him, but they didn't recruit Sam Pendleton. That's the whole point. They didn't like Sam Pendleton, which I think is nuts. I don't know if they would have taken Joe Otting, but they would have got Charles Jagasaw. I, I, have, no, I have no doubt about that. Yeah. But I just don't think they would have been prepared to play to their full potential. And I think this group will. And I, I think that's the biggest thing that that kind of has me fired up about this group. And and everybody, we are aware of what's going on. Uh, the r- reports of the USC and UCLA, that's another show for a different what? time. What uh, are you talking about? Yeah. Are I, you serious? No. Okay. Um, 
So we'll have that show at another time. You know, we'll we'll try to get the four of us back for that as well because I think that'd yeah. be a very. I think that would be a good one for the four of yeah. us. To talk about. Yeah, and yeah, and may may try to get Sean Styers in there too. I'm not sure how this will oh. with five people in it. Oh boy! Uh, but uh, we'll get to that another time. This is about recruiting and Charles Jagasaw and all that kind of stuff. So we'll we'll get to that when it, the time. Brian, is if, right. we, if we have, if we have the five on the screen, who would be in the middle? Would it be you? Yeah, I mean, that isn't like the. It, I, I'm trying to remember. And the Brady bunch is like the dad right in the middle. <laughs> Then, then I can't remember. I, I don't. I don't. Remember. Ryan, that's a little bit. That's a little bit before your time. No, I, I used to watch the Brady Bunch okay. when I was a kid. I just haven't watched it in a long yeah, time. So I think I the remember. dad was in the middle, but uh, yeah, I'd probably have to put myself in the middle so I could like slap Vince when he gets out I of think, hand. And actually, I think you know, Alice calm was, Sean down when you know he gets fired up. I think Alice was in the middle. I think Alice okay. was in the middle. Okay. But you know, yeah, either so way, she had to clean up everybody's messes. That fits <laughs> right. too. That fits too. Yeah, you know. So, because we, we, I know the buttons. Like Sean knows what buttons to get to, to push to get me fired up, right? <laughs> I know the buttons to push. We learned that on Thanksgiving. Remember that, Sean? When we're just having yeah. this, me and Reggie Brooks, Malik, we're having this all, and Sean's just in there chilling. And all of a sudden, um, Joe Wadney or uh, Jeff Quinn's name comes up, and Sean's like starts going off and flailing, and it's like, okay, we woke Sean up. I know how to get him going. Uh, so, and he knows how to push my buttons. Couple things here, real quick, before we dive into the mailbag. Uh, I just saw Cedric Urban committed to Stanford. I am very happy Good for about him. that. Very yeah. happy about that. I That's think that is a great fit, fit for him. He wanted great to go fit. somewhere that he could get a great education. Uh, very happy for Cedric that that happened. So um, very, very good. Glad to see that. So, that's going to do it for the Charles Jagasaw portion of the show, folks. We're going to dive into the mailbag here in a second. But guys, any any last things that you want to add in regards to this? I mean, this again, this is big. You just got a big time player. It's, you know, Harry Heastan clearly still has it, right? I mean, it's still there, right? He was able to go out there. The reputation is still is still good. Uh, Sean, I know you got a role, uh, but so I want to give you guys a chance before we dive into the mailbag. Vince, I think you got you to gotta bounce out of here too, I believe. So Ryan and I will dive into the mailbag. But I just wanted to kind of give everybody this last chance to, to talk about kind of what this means. Now that this offensive line class has kind of been put together, and I do expect Notre Dame to still try and recruit Monroe Fielding. I just don't think sure. that's going to happen. Right. Um, but uh, I think Harry Heastan is pretty much shut up. There shouldn't have been any doubters about his recruiting ability anyway. Oh. That was a patently absurd, we said at the time. But anyone that still thought that is just needs to just kind yeah. of time to check it. Yeah. Uh, it, that uh, argument the, is yeah. yeah try to burn the receipts, go through your Twitter <laughs> history, you know, you know, delete unpublish any stories that you might have had, uh, delete the post on the message board, just try to, you know, try to you know, try to uh, get people to forget. Like, no, I never said that. Show me where I said that, and hopefully, that no one has the receipts. But uh, you know, I think that's gone. So, Sean, anything you want to add as you guys get out of here before Ryan and I dive to the mailbag? Number thirty-four. I'm going to harp on that. Number <laughs> that was such an absurd ranking. Number thirty-four. <laughs> so stupid. I didn't like, know what you were talking about for a second. Yeah. Man. Oh my god. Five kids are the fruit of the thirty-fourth best O-line coach in America. That's mm-hmm. all. Just. Just understand that. But no, seriously, seriously, this is the beginning. Today is the beginning of the holiday avalanche Mm -hmm. that's coming for Notre Dame football. Yeah, well, that started yeah. yesterday, my friend. That's sorry, yeah. yesterday. Well, 2023. Right. Some of the right. 2023 class. <laughs> if yeah. you thought things were good before, have a great holiday week. Yeah. <laughs> it's about to get much about to get a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Vince, anything uh anything before you guys head out of here too? 
I, like I said, I will reiterate what I said about 20 minutes ago. I love the balance of this class and having Charles jump in at the end is like the icing on the cake to get the top rated guy in the class at the end. Uh, even though we all knew it was coming and we were just waiting for him to announce it, it still is just a great way to seal up this class if this is in fact the five that they're going to get, you know, not adding anybody else. I love the balance. I think it's exciting. And you're right. I have way higher expectations for this group because of who their coach is and yeah. what he's go- about to do with them over the next few years, whether it's him or his understudy. Uh, either way, I'm super excited about the future yeah. of this group. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.